Trading Nut, episode 56. Because it doesn't matter how good you are, the market can always be smarter than you because the market, in a sense, is the sum total of the intelligence of every person in the institution on the planet. The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than... I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax. Learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial, trading, or investing advice of any kind. What's up, traders? Welcome to another installment of the Trading Up Podcast. I'm your host, Cam Hawkins, and today we've got Tim Walker on the show here to talk to us about WD GAN and how he applies his methodology to the charts. We get we did a little video after the show as well, and uh, I saw probably the most interesting indicator I've seen on a chart in a long time. So guys, if you want to check that out afterwards, head over there to tradingnut.com and you'll be able to see that video in the show notes. Now, what else can I tell you? Look, there. Uh, well, we've got three new robots up in the Robot Traders Club. So if you haven't joined that, then now's the time to join. We've got three new ones up there, very different. One is a no-loss robot. One is Fibonacci-based. And the last one is based off the, uh, if you look back in the show, uh, the no-nonsense Forex style of trading. So, guys, three robots there. It's 14-day trial as well, so you can get in there pretty quick and, and have a buzz. Now, I've been doing the, uh, I've been doing, talk about the 14 days, I've been doing the 14-day Ninja Trading Challenge, and this is my last couple of days. I've got to say, from a mindset point of view, if you want to change your mindset around money, uh, then this stuff is really, really good. So there will be a link there on episode, I think it's a couple of episodes back, maybe episode 53, um, to go and sign up for it. I think you can still join that thing as well. So you can get 14 days of money mindset training. Part of that, which uh, I suppose what that reminds me of, is a video I watched last night, which was off the back of a book, and it didn't even talk about the book that I'd heard on an audible book just in the last few weeks. And the book was a bit confusing, but the video I saw will also help with not just your money, the money side of things, and if you've got a, a poor relationship with money, but it'll also help with life in general. And if you're trying to overcome obstacles and this sort of thing, the video helped me get past the, the blocks that the book sort of put up because it was so technical and, and based around science. It's all around atoms and they a new finding that scientists have made around atoms and how they react to things and the fact that we're all made up of atoms and how we can how that can help us influence what may happen in the future in our lives really sort of you know woo woo stuff but uh, check it out guys it's, it's quite interesting as well all right folks i think that's enough from me today yeah so do go and check out the video after the show do go and check out the robot traders club um give it a go we've got three robots new robots in there and check out the video and i'll put a link to that video in the show notes as well with tim's show so without further ado let's get on with the interview and hear from tim all right folks we've got tim walker here uh from timwalker.net.au uh, tim's a futures trader from Australia, but now resides in Thailand. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cam. Lovely to be here. Yeah, look, it's great to have you on. Uh, now, I, I do want to, before we get into like the nitty gritty around uh, what you do, uh, you know, trading 
the the Garn, WD Garn style of trade. Uh, I want to first hear your story and your backstory, how you got into trading, and uh, and I'll dive a little deeper on some points there. So do you want to start off with how you first got into this gig? Sure. Well, it was rather funny, really. I uh, I was at a dinner back in 2003 and uh, met a lady there who worked for a company that uh, taught GAN trading. And I thought, what's GAN trading? I knew very little about the stock market at the time, but when she started talking a little bit, bit about GAN and who he was, I thought, hmm, this sounds really interesting. So I followed it up and started getting some information and uh, the more I dived into it, the more fascinating it seemed. And then that led me into a career change about three or four years after that where I, uh, where I first started trading and then started full-time trading. There must have been an odd conversation at dinner. So how did you go from like sitting next to this woman to, to talking about A, trading, and then GAN as a, as a, as a style of trading? Well, as I say, it was funny because it started off with one of those common questions that you ask people when you meet for the first time, which is, what do you do? And, uh, and she started telling me about her work, and she mentioned this name, GAN, and I said, what's GAN? And she said, oh, it's a way of trading the stock market. And I, and I thought, well, I always found the stock market interesting, but I'd never studied it. I'd never traded. I'd owned some shares years ago, but I'd sold them to buy a house uh, just before the crash in 1987, which was rather lucky. Uh, <laughs> but I can't claim any uh, intelligence whatsoever for that. It just happened to be that it coincided with a, with a house purchase and I needed all the cash I had on hand. And, uh, and after that, I'd sort of gone off and done other things and never really been into it. But, uh, but the interest was still dormant there. And so when she started talking about it, I said, oh, it sounds interesting. How do I find out more? And she said, oh, well, our company does some presentations. And so I went along to one of their presentations and that sounded interesting. And a bit further down on, uh, along the track, I, I bought a course and I studied the course and found it really interesting and started trading and then... From that, I sort of got back into Gan's original materials because one of the unusual things about, about Gan is that he was a trader first and an educator second, but uh, amongst big traders in history, he was one of the few that actually wrote a lot. You know, many of the famous ones like Jesse Livermore, for example, wrote almost nothing in his lifetime. And so people are left speculating about what he did, whereas... Uh, Gan wrote books throughout his life, wrote books and courses and actually taught courses himself. So there's a wealth of material, a uh, little bit hard to decipher at times, but if you prepare to put time in, there's a, there's a fascinating resource of information there. Do you want to give us like a sort of quick summary for the guys that aren't there, that, that are out there that aren't familiar with Gan and they, they, they haven't traded it before? Do you want to give us a quick sort of overview of oh. what the style entails? Sure, yeah, yep, I can do that pretty easily. Gann traded in Wall Street in the first half of the 20th century. He, uh, I think he said he took his first trade in 1902, and he died in 1955. So his career spanned about 50 years. And his premise about the markets, which is was that the, the, there are certain principles or laws or whatever you call them that govern all natural phenomena, uh, such as weather and things like that. Weather is cyclic, and he said people are subject to these same laws, and and people make up markets. 
So therefore, markets are cyclic too. But he went a step further and said that the reason behind this cyclic behaviour is basically mathematical. And so he said that markets can be broken down into, into mathematics. And that's basically what all his work entailed. There's a lot of stuff that you hear about, yeah, like he was into magic things and the occult and astrology and all that sort of stuff. And he certainly did investigate those matters, but he approached it from the viewpoint of mathematics, which is a bit different to what most people do when they go into those areas. And so he, he said things like uh, prices of highs and lows in markets will have mathematical relationships to other highs and lows. And his work was basically in identifying rules to help establish those and then to base it with a basic trading system based on a swing chart, which then enabled you to, to take advantage of those moves and make money from them. He also he spent most of his life running uh, an advisory service. And from the way I read his books, I think he saw the game on Wall Street. And he saw how, how stacked the odds were against the little guy. And I think he tried hard to uh, devise a system where uh, an ordinary person could invest their savings and retirement funds and so on in the markets in a way that would uh, avoid them being, being gobbled up by the, by the system. So I, you know, I think I think what he was trying to do was to was to help the average person uh, make make some money, and not just buying something and sitting and hoping that it would, that it would go up, but actually by having rules when the market was going up, when it was likely to go down, and therefore ways to trade both sides of the markets. And was it sort of like uh, uh, was he trying to pick? Will help people pick the top and the bottom so their risk was less? Uh, he was helping people to identify when the trend was changing. Now, he did that to varying degrees. For example, for an investor, he would work off, a, say, a monthly chart of a stock. And, and it, it wasn't that he ignored fundamentals, but, but he maintained, as many others have written, that all the fundamental factors get reflected in the price action of the stock so that if you know how to read a chart, you can get an inkling of what the fundamentals are telling you more easily than you can if you try to pour over company reports and all the information you get in the financial press and so on, which is just too voluminous for the average person to comprehend. So he was sort of shortcutting that in a way. Um, but... If you were investing in a stock, you might be looking at a monthly chart and so you might get a signal that the trend was changing maybe a few months after it topped. And, and so that would get you out with 90% of your profit intact and then a chance to make money again on the short side as the as this price was falling. But then in his more detailed courses, he, he taught methods to get out much closer to turns. But generally speaking, although his own records indicate that when he saw a turn, he jumped on generally within a handful of ticks from the actual high or low, he 
he probably taught methods like that to his really advanced students, but most people, he, he told them not to worry about trying to, to get that close. Wait for confirmation, wait for the market to tell you that the trend is changing, and, and therefore you can, you can be much safer. Okay, so so what what made you fall in love with this style of trading, and why didn't you, you know, decide that I might try something else and see if anything else is better? Well, um, I suppose I was fascinated by the mathematical side of it, um, which for some reason just appealed to my brain. Uh, I have I have looked at some other things. For example, I've studied things like Elliott Wave um, and a few other things like that. I've done some study of Wyckoff's work on volume. Uh, I suppose once I got into it, uh, I found enough there to keep me occupied uh, and, and I could see the value in it enough that I didn't really feel I needed to go off and do, and do too much else. You know, it's a way when, when you get something that works, stick with it rather than trying to turn a simple plan that works into a complicated one that doesn't. Mind you, I'm good at that too. <laughs> so, okay, so um, you, you did try a few other things and, and came back to this. And look, I mean, I've, I've heard, and I must have admitted probably years ago, you know, somebody's going, oh, well, now and again you get somebody saying, oh, GAN doesn't work, da 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 this doesn't work, this doesn't work. Very polarizing. Um, but... Can you sort of elaborate on why somebody might think that if they were coming to this new? Uh, yes, <laughs> I have a few theories on that. Um, one is one is I think that too many people don't actually go back and study what Gan wrote himself. So most of what you hear about Gan comes from what other people have said when those other people themselves might only have taken a cursory look at his work. Uh, his work is sometimes difficult to get into because of the absence of charts. You know, charts were fairly hard to produce back in the 1930s, uh, although there are some in his books, but a lot of his lessons don't have charts with them. And so uh, I've actually gone back for myself and recovered out of old newspapers a lot of the data so I can put the charts together because it's the only way to understand a lot of what he's saying. But also... People, people are fascinated by the word forecasting, whether it's forecasting the weather, forecasting the horse races, forecasting the stock market, uh, having their palms read, their, their charts read, the tea leaves read, the rooms read. It's just one of those things that captures people's imagination. And this, this thing that's almost a myth has grown up that, that Gan would would forecast everything that happened in the markets before it happened and that he was some sort of uh, super guru who knew everything and used magic or something. And it's just not true. And unfortunately, when people see that it's not true, having heard it, they say, oh, well, the whole thing's rubbish. Uh, whereas my understanding again, and I don't claim, claim to be the expert, but my understanding is that he used a lot of simple logical things that many people would benefit from. Simple things such as uh, price moves in markets are a bit like, uh, he didn't give it this way, this is my analogy, but like the waves at the beach. 
when you when you go to the beach on a certain day when the tide's at a certain level, the waves are all of relatively similar heights. Some are smaller, some bigger, but, you know, it's either a day with a big swell or a small one and, and you get waves accordingly. And so in markets, you will see a wave, in this case, being a price move up or down, and markets have a tendency to make moves of similar price range. And when you see uh, a range that the market's done three times before and you see that it's done a very similar range this time, one, it's a good reason not to buy it at this point in time. Another, it's a good reason to take profits on any positions that you hold. And three, it's an opportunity, if you like trading short, to look for a signal that the market might go the other way. So it, it was simple things like this that a lot of people don't hear about. You know, I've heard stories of people arguing that Dan didn't use swing charts, and yet his basic trading system, which he taught in at least half a dozen different lessons, is, is swing-based. And, and I think it's this fact that people go off and they want to understand the esoteric, and they, they want to say that, oh, Dan applied ancient mathematics or astrology or something like this to the markets. I'm not... I'm perfectly aware that he studied those things and there are writings of his where he talks about some astrological things with the markets. But there's also an interview in which he says uh, the problem with astrology is that most astrologers are not mathematicians and therefore astrology doesn't work for them. So in his own words, it was clear that he was using that as a component in his view of the market as being mathematically based. And I think too few people hear that message and and therefore they throw the baby out with the bathwater and just, just think that the whole thing is rubbish, whereas a more balanced presentation of the mathematical aspects of his work I think would help a lot of people. Righty-ho, okay. And, I mean, so back in the day when you were like getting to the point where you were starting to find consistency and, and profitability with what you were doing, I mean, how did that... How did that play out? Was What was your approach? Well, when I started studying, I was working full-time. Uh, I didn't have much time to study. I used to do it either in the morning before I went to work or in the night when I came home, and I worked fairly long hours back in those days. And uh, I was excited about it. Um, and later on, the opportunity came to move on from the job I was doing at the time and I had a bit of money saved up, and so I thought, well, I'll use this opportunity to get in and do some serious study. And so I spent probably the best part of 12 months after that really trying to pull everything apart and understand it. And, and after that, I was, uh, I was able to bring it all together and make something out of it. And, and so how did – and, I mean, when you sort of get into the – I suppose the real detail around it. I mean, and you are, you know, you're placing these trades week on, week off. Uh, I mean, was there a turning point, a turning week where things started to to look better? There was a funny trade which really was pure luck. I can't claim any credit for it whatsoever. I took a trade in a stock in Australia uh, that later went off the board because it merged, but it was called Coles Meyer. And it was a simple trade. I think it was a double bottom trade from memory. And I took the trade and 
I was halfway through the trade, it was still open, when a takeover offer came out for the company. And as often happens when a takeover comes over and it's not expected like that, the stock price jumped. It was, I think I bought the stock at $9 something. It traded up to about $10 and then it jumped instantly to $13 a share. So I'm walking down the street not thinking about anything to do with the markets. And the broker rings me and says, there's just been a takeover bid on Cole Meyer. Your, your share is now trading at $13. What do you want to do? And I thought, what the hell do I do? I had no idea. So I said, close it out. Take the profit. And I did. I took my profit and ran. And, and that was sort of a turning point because up to that time, I'd been studying all the rules and yet that, you know, it didn't seem to be working for me. Uh, I was trying hard. I was even doing all the things that the book said, but the, but the profits weren't coming. I, you know, I'd make some, I'd lose some, whatever. And, uh, and that one, you know, it, it's funny, like it was just a big profit that I almost didn't deserve, really. I just, I took the right trade, but I was just lucky. And, uh, but it, it did, it changed my psychology. Uh, it, it just gave me a lift and, uh, and, and gave me the impetus to, to keep working at it. Okay. All right. So that was, so, and did you, did your trading improve after that? Well, it did because it's funny when you, when you have a positive outlook, you, you tend to take better trades or you manage them better or you analyze the chart better. And I, I vividly remember some years after that, I was presenting a seminar in, in Sydney and, uh, a guy who I'd met at seminars before, he knew me, he came up just before we were starting when I was getting ready and said, uh, oh, gee, it's been hard to find good trades lately, hasn't it? And it was funny because just before he came up to me, I'd been looking through several good trades that had been in the market recently and wondering which ones I should talk about. And so he sort of took me by surprise. I'm looking at all these good trades and he's telling me how they haven't been so I turned the screen around and said, oh, well, what about this one, this one, this one? And went, oh, oh, that's funny. I didn't see those. And, you know, it's, it's one of those funny things that we often don't realise. You know, it's a bit like the police say you get half a dozen witnesses to a, to a car crash and they all give a different version of what happened. And we think that reality is sort of a fixed thing out there. You think, you know, there's a chart in front of us. Everybody's looking at the same chart. We should all take the same trades. But it actually doesn't work that way. We can all look at the same thing and we all see different things depending on our mindset and our basic thought patterns. And so uh, I think mindset is very important and it certainly made a difference for me. And, of course, for any trader, there's no such thing as one trade that suddenly makes it all turn and then you, you, know, you just make millions ever after. There are always uh, good times and bad times, just like anything. There are, there are days when we are full of energy and days when we have none days when everything seems to work out right and days when it doesn't, that's, that's normal in life and trading's just the same. You, know, you go through tough patches and you go through patches where I would never say it all seems easy, but it all seems to come together. So, but I, I think the mindset you have behind it makes a world of difference. It's far more important than, than most people recognise. Yeah, it's, that's come across in some of the recent interviews more so than ever before, actually. This the way that you actually see the chart from a or see see the market and see trading 
from a, a, I suppose, an outcome point of view. So some people like want the, you know, they want or they desire the, um, that the outcomes of like, you know, I want a, a Lamborghini or whatever it is, and um, but they don't, they don't see the market as something that is there to give them that that what that which they desire or uh, what's the other way it's probably it's more the fact that they don't they don't already think that they've got that because how yeah. am i trying to exp- am i trying to explain this correctly it's it's very much like this guy said it perfectly in this previous interview where he said look i look at the market and i just say this is a place that's going to get me my porsche and this is what it does it gives me money Versus a lot of other people who, you know, you hear somebody saying, well, the market's too slow at the moment or the market's um, not volatile, so there's nothing happened, I can't make any money. Um, all these sort of reasons as to why nothing's going going right for them. But if you just flip it around and go, in actual fact, this is the thing that just generates cash for me. It's like an ATM or something like that. All of a sudden, you've got a different perspective and there's a higher chance of you having success, which it sounds like happened to you when you had that big winner and it just flipped that around is that right it's it's true yeah and and you hear that a lot you hear you hear people say oh uh the the, the big traders are running my stops or, or things like that as though somebody has nothing better to do than to look at the positions of a, of a small trader and, and and run their stops and so on it's like um the market the way I like to think of it is that the market is neutral. The market's willing for you to make a million or lose a million, uh, depending on whether you learn the rules that govern market movements or not. If you understand how the market moves, then you can do the same thing. And, you know, it's a bit like the same as if you understand that winter's coming, you know, to go out and buy warm clothes. You don't go and put on your beach gear and go to the beach when it's minus two simply because you understand the way the seasons work. And the, the market's actually not that dissimilar. You know, there are certain periods of the year when, when markets habitually rise and when they habitually fall. And some of those are, are encompassed in popular sayings like Christmas rally or selling may and go away or things like that. But, but seasonal moves like that um, occur at different parts of the year all year round in, in all markets. And if you study a market long enough to notice what those seasonal moves are, then you, you, you've got a bit of an edge. And it's, it's like anything else. You, you, don't, you don't need to master something, but you just need to have a bit of an edge that, that enables you to stay ahead of the crowd. And, and it, takes, it takes work to do, but most of the work really is on yourself. I think, I think many traders have a reasonable trading plan. They have a way to make money but their own mind sabotages them. Yeah, I think uh, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Um, now, you, you mentioned before the show that you trade uh, the futures markets in the US and the Aussie indices. Is that right? Well, I have traded a number of the US commodity futures over the years. Nowadays, I just trade the uh, the Australian SPY 200 futures, which is the futures call. A contract based on the ASX 200 index uh, because I found that uh, limiting my attention and focus to one market enables me to see a lot more of what goes on in it. Many people don't like that. Many people don't like the fact that every market has times when it does nothing 
and so there's not much money to be made in it and they feel they've got to run off and have half a dozen markets. But I always liken it to focusing the sun's rays through a magnifying glass. If you focus it to a point like that, you can you can set a leaf on fire, whereas otherwise you've just got the warm rays of the sun, but they're not focused. And attention is like that. If you if you can focus it on a point such as one market, then you understand a lot more. Like I've seen a lot of things like like what the spy typically does on the open or what it does around the close or what it does in the open of the evening session or the times of day when when moves tend to happen or when turns tend to happen or how it re- how it reacts to the European market or the US market. Now, most of that wouldn't apply to, say, US market um, or it would have similar things but they would happen at different times. And I've been able to see certain patterns that appear on the, on the chart which tell me, uh, tell me not necessarily that I know what's going to happen next, but I have a very good guess about what's going to happen next. And, and so I can therefore place my orders accordingly, which if I was scattered across a number of markets, then I would, I would lose that, that penetrating view of, of one of them. And I find if you concentrate on one like that, uh, you can get a system that generates regular profits. And once you've got regular profits, it's just a question of letting the account size build up to a point where you can trade a position which, which generates the sort of money that you, that you desire to live the life you want to live. I see, I see trading as a means to an end, not an end in itself. You know, I, I, would, I would hate to think at the end of my life that I'd done nothing except trade. But trading gives me the means to do the things that are important to me that would hopefully make the world a bit of a better place for people to live in uh, because I can now make money in a shorter period of time without having to uh, have a full-time job. Cool. And thinking a bit more about what you're actually doing on a chart and in this one market, what, what time frames are you looking at? I work mostly off the daily chart, Pam. Um, I always think it's funny. Everybody wants to be an intraday trader uh, because they think they get more trades. We certainly get more trades, but I actually think intraday trading is harder. Um, I'm lazy, and uh, I like something that's not too taxing on my brain. And a daily chart, I get time to analyze it and I, I, will, I will watch what the market does in today because it sometimes helps me understand the daily chart. But you get less volatility on the daily chart and you can get intraday moves if you're trading, say, an hourly chart or a 15-minute chart or something that might, might stop you out of a trade that is perfectly safe on the, on the daily chart. So I work on the daily chart and I place my orders on that. And so, you know, my average trade would probably last two or three days, sometimes sometimes less, sometimes more. Uh, sometimes I'll build up a position. Um, you know, I have different ways to manage the trades. And, and a trailing position might, might last even a few weeks in some cases, but most of the trades are only a few days long. And that means I don't have to be wedded to the screen all day long. I always check the markets when I, when I wake up in the morning in my time zone, the uh, the day session of the SPY opens uh, just before 7 a.m. And uh, so that gives me time to wake up, 
turn on the computer, see what's happened overnight, and uh, and you know be ready to act. Not that there's a lot I need to do at that time. The main time I'll place orders will be in the early afternoon after the close of the day session in Sydney, which is which is the close of the daily bar there. And so that's when I'll do the analysis and place the orders. And then over the weekend, when I've got a bit of time, I'll uh, I'll do some more in-depth analysis, maybe looking back over the weekly and monthly charts and seeing any any uh, big picture things. But that, I, I I like that way that that suits my style, and I I don't say it's necessarily a better or a worse way to trade. I think everybody needs to find the time frame that suits their own circumstances and their own personality. Uh, I I was working with a guy once who uh, was in the Australian Army, and because of his work, he could only check charts over the weekends. So when I told him you could trade off a weekly chart, he thought that was terrific because it, it suited him. Uh, other people like to, and they're good at making short, sharp, snappy decisions, and so they can trade intraday and, and do well out of it. And so I, I think it all depends more about understanding yourself rather than saying, well, what does so-and-so do? Mm. And, and what about winning percentages and, uh, and risk-to-reward ratio? How do they look? Well, uh, I think the two need to be combined. Uh, people will often just talk about risk-reward. They say, oh, I've got a, a two-to-one reward to risk on this trade or a five-to-one or something. But it's also relevant as to how often those setups work out profitably. Because you might have two to one, but it only is profitable 40% of the time. So getting it hard is, is a struggle. So I focus more on the percentage of winning trades. And I aim for a system that brings between 70 and 80% of trades bring profits. And, uh, and I aim for at least a two to one reward to risk, but I will still take ones that come within my system that are that are less than that when they're when they're higher probability setups. But that's basically the rough parameters I work on. And and how did you get confidence in your system? Endless practice. It took me a long time to work this out. Um, but I think it's the same in every field of human endeavour and I don't think there's any shortcut to it. The people who make the biggest success in every area, whether it's business, sport, trading, dancing, music, anything, are the people who who work at it consistently over a long period of time. And I was lucky when I was a kid, I learned to play the piano, and I learned from a very early age, and I stuck at it, and I became relatively good at it simply by practicing every day. And, and when I started to realise the same actually applied to the markets, that was the biggest change in my thinking. It's not about being the most intelligent person. It's not about uh, having the best opportunity. It's not about having an advisory service. It's not about being able to whisper to somebody who's going to give you the inside tips. It's just about how long you work with a system that you devise yourself that suits you. And I, th- I think the problem is people people look to somebody else to give them the answers far too much and they want results too quickly. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody else, but I think it's our biggest problem to success. If we could just think, okay, I'm going to devote 
however long it takes to mastering this. And I'm going to start with some plan that I've learned in a book or a course or that I've devised myself and I'm going to test it and work it and test it again and change it and stick at it until I make it work. I think anybody who's prepared to do that can make a success in this field or in any other field for that matter, assuming that they're interested in it and suited to it. And, and did you... think... Sorry? Sorry? Carry on, carry on. I was only going to add that I don't think there's any magic to it. I think it's as simple as that. And and what about, like, did you actually backtest it or, or were you paper trading to get this sort of level of confidence up? Uh, I do both, and I think I think both is good. Backtesting gives you an idea of whether you've got something that looks like it might work, uh, but there's a lot of uh, inherent uh, faults or things that are incomplete in backtesting. For example, sometimes you'll backtest and you'll assume that you got filled one point above the high of the bar. But when you start to look at it in real time, you find that um, the market gapped uh, and didn't show because there was an intraday move somewhere. and because, Or the market was moving really quickly because a bit of news come out, came out that sent the market running. And so your fill might be much worse than you were expecting. Um, or an inside day that sort of opens high and close low might look like on backtesting that it was a, a, a profitable trade, but in real time you find that the market actually oscillated four times and, and would have flicked you in the trade, stopped you out, and then gone on and made money. And I've, I've seen moves like that from time to time. So uh, th- there are things that you miss when you backtest, but of course the Two most important things you miss when you backtest are one, the time element, because you can just click a bar every time you you reach for your uh, mouse on your keyboard, whereas in real time, say if I'm trading a daily chart, I've got to wait 24 hours for a new bar to appear, or maybe 72 hours if it's a weekend. And the other factor is is psychology. There's no psychology in backtesting because you think, yes, I'd take that trade, yes, I'd take that trade, yes, I'd watch that trade come back 75% of the way towards my stop or within two ticks of my stop, uh, and it wouldn't worry me at all, but in real time it does. Um, and so all that emotion comes up when you start trading for real. And the only way that you're ever going to overcome that, of course, is by trading for real. But backtesting gets you started. Then I like to go on and I like to uh, pay for trade or trade in real time uh, to, to look, okay, well, I think my system works like this. How does it seem to work? And then and then once I'm confident in that, then I can go and, and actually start the, the, the real trading. Sometimes because I'm uh, a bit pig-headed sometimes, sometimes I'll skip that paper trading stage and I'll go in and I'll take a really small position and actually test, test it in real time like that um, because... You know, then then you get the full scenario when you're doing that. But I think a better way to do it really is to is to paper test it first. Or use so a does, demo. does this mean that you've got multiple systems running that that are sort of based on GAN? Nowadays, I've simplified what I do a lot. I sort of spent my first five years trading, making things more and more complicated, and trying more and different things. Now I've really simplified it to pretty much one style that uh, 
I'll just I'll manage in more than one way. But, but my interest is really just one one style now. Now, I ask this question to most of my guests. It's a bit of an odd one, but I mean, cryptocurrency trading. Have you have you seen anything that looks like uh, the GAN style of trading work on cryptocurrencies? Do, have you invested in Bitcoin before or anything like that? Uh, to be honest, no, um, because I've, I've tried trading currencies very early in my career. And I just found that currencies never made sense to me. I had a good friend who was a really good currency trader, and we'd sit and talk. And he'd say, look at all these great moves on the Japanese yen. And I'd go, yeah, it looks good. But then when I'd go and look at the chart, I wouldn't see them. But I'd look at other charts that I liked, and I would see the same sort of things on them. And and I read it years ago, uh, but I've always thought it was rather good, that, that markets are a bit like people that they have personalities and you meet some and you're friends with them and you meet others and you're neutral about them and others you downright dislike. And I think it's important to find the market that suits you. And currencies just never gelled with me. And so when the cryptocurrencies came around, I didn't really follow them either. However, having said that, I would suggest that that GAN system would work equally well on them because his system was designed around what he called the mathematical laws behind market movements. So any market that you set up should follow those same laws. However, it will follow them in different ways in its own personality, for want of a better word. And so you'd need to go in and study them and, and find them out. But I know someone who, who shorted Bitcoin on a GAN signal right after the top whenever it was a year or two ago and um and, and made a stack of money on the on the short side of it when it when it fell so so yes i i would say all the rules would apply probably equally well i mean most of the markets we trade today weren't around in gans day and the ones that were around have totally changed their fundamental characteristics because the world's a lot different than it was 100 years ago and yet the rules that he wrote work equally well and in some cases even better than when he wrote them. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And I, I do like that analogy of, you know, find a market that's you'd be friends with versus trying to be friends with every single market. It's, it's a nice little way to put it. Uh, I, right. I, think, I think it's good. And I think it goes to the, to the comment that you, you passed on from another interview that, um, uh, you know, if you see your market as getting opportunity, then it's likely to present it. Well, if you see your market as something you've got to struggle with, as opposed to seeing it as your friend, then it's going to be so much harder to uh, to get profitable trades and make money out of it. Mm. Yeah, indeed, 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 indeed. Now, um, way back in the beginning, what do you think made you different from other traders out there who are struggling, who system hop? Uh, who move their stops? What do you think got you over those hurdles and, and kept you on the straight and narrow? Well, firstly, I don't think I'm any different at all to everybody else out there. I think we're all in the same boat. Um, and I probably made all the mistakes that everybody else makes. Uh, but I stuck with it. And I think persistence is a really big thing. Um, you could call it stubbornness, and I wouldn't disagree with you. I think I am quite stubborn. When I get my teeth into something, I, I don't like to leave it on a bad note. But um, I think uh, probably one thing that helped me a lot was realising that 
I would be the cause of my success or failure and that if I was doing something and it wasn't working, I had to change what I was doing uh, rather than going and hunting for the next big system. I mean, I went through the stage. I have bookshelves full of courses that I paid large sums of money for in some cases uh, that were supposed to teach some brilliant new system. And I think probably all of them work for somebody who really gets into them and studies them. But what I did with them was look at them superficially and not go back and do the work that was required. And I think this is probably one trap that people fall into. Um, instead of picking one system and saying, I'm going to stick with this until I find a made a way that work, they think, well, this system doesn't work, so I've got to add something new. Uh, you know, I'll study Bollinger Bands because I've never studied those and they'll add the missing link or, or MACD crossovers will add the, uh, the missing link. Uh, or uh, if it's not GAN, I'll try Elliot, and, and they keep adding more and more on, but it's never going to get them there because they're always just looking at the surface. And I think the thing is if you find something, it's probably the same approach I'm talking about with picking a market, it's really finding a system that resonates with you in some way and then just saying, I'm not going to let this thing go um, until, until I make a success out of it. And, and I suppose I've done that. And that's probably what's helped me more than anything. Now, now diving into a price chart. I mean, if somebody was a complete novice, probably like myself, uh, to the to the workings of GAN, what would you recommend they would look at on a price chart and start sort of educating themselves on to to get a better understanding of of how GAN works? Well, I always say to people, if you're coming on a new market, pull up a monthly chart first and just look at it and see what you see and have a pen and a piece of paper and write down things that stick out to you. It might be that it's been going up and up and up for years or it might be that it's coming back to an old top or it might be that it's in the doldrums and has been going down forever. But just start noticing things because one of the, one of the lost secrets again, if I can call it that, is I think he was an expert form reader. He could look at a chart and he could see what the chart was telling him. And I liken reading a price chart to reading a language like English or any other language. And, you know, I've had the experience living in Thailand over the last few years of learning a new language which uses a writing script totally different from English. It has nothing in common with it whatsoever. And so, therefore, my brain can't use any of the pattern recognition that it uses with English. And I see how long it's still taking me to acquire the same level of proficiency in reading Thai that I have in reading English. I can read it, but I can't read it with the same skill that I can read English in the same ease. And I see a price chart as exactly the same. We don't speak, we don't make sounds out of a price chart, but... Every, every bar, every swing is another letter or another word or a sentence. And combinations of bars make phrases. And, and the market over time makes a story. Uh, you know, we've been in a bull market in the, in the equity market since 2009. Well, that's like a whole chapter of a book or a whole section of a book. Um, but the bear market of 2008 was a different chapter. It was a different story. Maybe it was a different short story. And it, 
I don't claim to be able to read all of that, but I practice it. And I think Gan was an expert at it. And I think that really should be the starting point of anything. Gan gave an interview early in his career, and the person who was interviewed about him said that quite aside from his scientific approach to the markets, he could beat the market just based on his form reading skills. And people just skim over that with, with Gan. They think, oh, it's all about the magic numbers and this sort of thing. But actually what he did was use his mathematical points to identify times when the market should change, be prepared for them in advance, and then wait for the signal. Wait for the market to make a screaming run into the top, which, which indicated that the buying was about to come to an end. Waiting for huge volume to come in, showing that sellers were now entering the market. Waiting for signal bars, waiting for lower swing tops, things like this that would tell him that the other analysis that he did done is actually going to come off because he made wrong forecasts and he made right ones and it was probably about 50-50 on a, a rough estimate of what I've done from his from reading his works. But I don't think he cared whether his forecasts were right or wrong, certainly not from his own trading perspective because he could read a chart. And sometimes if a signal doesn't work, you know, if the market goes against what you think it's going to do, that's a signal in itself. Because if, if all your indicators tell you that the market's going up and instead it breaks support and goes down, then that's probably saying that there's a good down move coming. And there are very few examples where Gann wrote about his actual trades, but there is one from very late in his career, uh, which I've studied in a fair bit of depth, on a market that doesn't exist anymore, eggs futures. We used to be able to trade in eggs futures in those days. Mm. And and he he wrote about three pages of reasons why the market was going to have a top for a reaction. And it went down for two days and then went up and took out the top. But I followed through his description of it after that and see that despite the fact that his analysis was wrong, he made money out of it. And, and that was entirely from his skill in reading the market. You know, there are comments in there where he said, well, I covered shorts and went long again uh, because the market didn't go down for the third day. So it came down, it hit support, it couldn't break the support, instead it went up. So he turned around and went back with the trend of the market. And there's umpteen examples where he talks about doing things like that, that you simply cannot learn from a book. You can only do it by repeated study and repeated experiment and getting it right and wrong and analysing what you did. And, you know, I don't claim to be a master of the markets. In another 10 years, I probably still won't. Gann himself said that after trading for 50 years, he said no one can learn everything that there is about forecasting and trading the markets. It's just too big. It's a, it's a lifelong study. And I think that's what makes it fascinating because there's always something new there's always something more you can understand. I think Livermore characterised it in a similar way. He said the market's like it's a battle of wits that you, you enter every day and, and it, it, it never ends because it doesn't matter how good you are, the market can always be smarter than you because the market, in a sense, is the sum total of the intelligence of every person and institution on the planet trading it. And as most markets are international nowadays, it can be worldwide. So no one person can have more knowledge than that. All we can try to do is to understand 
what drives the market, what makes it go up and down, and try to read the signals so that we can see what the what the smart people are doing and do the same do the same as them. There was a guy who was a contemporary of Gans back in the thirties who was called uh, his name his name was Frank Tubbs, and he wrote a course, and he uh, uh, and he said our job as traders is to learn what he called them the manipulators, what the market manipulators are doing. He said, we have to learn what they're doing and do the same. And I think that's a good way of doing it. We don't try to outsmart anyone. We just be humble enough to realise that there are people smarter than us and certainly people that have a hell of a lot more money to throw around than we do and um, uh, find out what they're doing and do the same. You know, just say, you know, can I come too, please? Indeed, indeed, indeed. Look, I'm going to dive into the quick fire round here uh, to wrap up the show. So this is a, a few questions that are going to help the guys sort of wrap everything up and and, and pack it up uh, and understand how uh, it is that you got to become an expert again and uh, and trade the market successfully. So first question is, how long did it take you to go from trading newbie to consistently profitable? About two years. What's your mental approach to trading and do you have any special techniques you can share with us? Mm, study swing charts in form reading. That's that's the, probably the thing that's helped me the most. What's your favourite entry setup? Double top or bottom on a 50% retracement with some time behind it. What strategies do you use to exit or manage active trades? I look at percentages of previous ranges and I also use uh, trailing stops behind swing charts, swing tops and bottoms. What's your recommended trading book? For someone who's interested in GAN, I always recommend the very first book he wrote, which was called The Truth of the Stock Tape. Stock Tape was the old ticker tape that they used to print out live prices on. So he wrote a book called The Truth of the Stock Tape, and it's all about chart reading. Um, It's not his most well-known book, but I think it's the best one as an introduction. If there was one thing you'd recommend any retail trader spend the next month mastering, what would it be, why, and how could they go about mastering it? (laughs) Once again, form reading, form reading with volume. Uh, How would you go about mastering it? I would start, if you had no books in front of you, open a chart, look at it, calculate the range of the bar, compare the range to the volume, and start writing down what you think that bar is telling you about what's going to happen tomorrow. Do that every day for a month and you'll learn a hell of a lot in a month. What's your preferred broker and trading platform? I don't recommend any broker. Um, I was in MF Global when they collapsed about 10 years ago and it made me realise that, sorry brokers, brokers can't be trusted. Um, Brokers have a business to run and their business is making money off commissions and their business is not to make you make money. So, you know, MF Global, they went bankrupt because they did naughty things with their clients' money. No executives of the company were ever prosecuted for it. It happened again 100 years ago. It's happened now. I'm sure it will happen again. So I advise people to shop around with brokers and maybe have more than one and not to leave too much money sitting sitting in an account. I had a friend who lost millions in MF Global because he let his account grow too big. Yeah, we're talking about losing millions. What was the worst trade that you've ever had? <laughs> well, the worst trade I ever had wasn't so much a uh, 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 an amount of money. 
the worst trade I had psychologically was when the stock market topped in 2007. I actually shorted it on the day of the top, which on the SPY was the 12th of, of 15th of October, I think, 2007. I was the day after the top. Top was the 12th. I sh- that was a Friday. I think I shorted it on the Monday the 15th. And the market went down, and I thought that was the top. And uh, then it was the 20th anniversary of the 1987 crash, and all the newspapers were going, oh, it's all going to happen again. And, of course, instead the market rallied. And uh, and I panicked, moved my stock down, got stopped out of the trade, took a loss on the trade, and then and then watched the market collapse. And it took me weeks to get over that and get back in again. <laughs> If I could imagine. So that's indelibly etched on my memory as my worst trade. Actually, yeah. picking the day of the top and and not making money out of it. I just oh, yeah. Um, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? Never give up. Persist. Uh, analyze your mistakes. Learn from them. But know that if you stick at it, you will win. And Gan gives that message all through his books all the time. He said, if you persist with it, you you will be successful. And I think so many of us give up when we're nine-tenths of the way there because it's always darker before the dawn. But when it seems bad, don't give up. Okay, brilliant. Look, Tim, we've got one more question. So the last question of the show is we'd like you to give us the bones of a trading strategy, entry setup, stop loss, take profit targets, market time frame, basically something our listeners can have a bit of a play with at home this week. Sure. Well, as I say, I trade off a swing chart. I trade off a swing chart in the daily chart. And the simplest setup is simply a higher swing bottom or, or a lower swing top. And you simply find a, a range that is big enough to offer you a profit that the market has done. And, uh, and when the swing chart turns up, you, you buy again and, uh, and take, don't be greedy. Take, take a percentage of that previous, previous profit. Um, I, I always look for less than what the market did previously because obviously on simple probability, it's more likely to do less than it did last time than it is to do equal or more. So if, I, if I'm not greedy and I take less, then I can just keep putting a small, a small profit in the bank. So that's what I do. Look for a higher swing bottom and buy or look for a lower swing top and sell and and look at whatever percentage you work out of, of its previous range uh, looks to be reasonably good odds. You know, you're looking for something that your market's going to do 70 to 80% of the time. So it might be 75%, it might be 50%. But if you've got something that works that often, then it's going to give you relatively few unprofitable trades and a, and a large number of profitable ones. That's my that's my simplest setup. There are other ones that I use, like double tops and bottoms and so on like that. But but the swing chart one's a simple one that anybody can go and have a play with. Okay, cool. And so that means, so, let, so I've got it clear. So we've got a little sort of, I suppose, swing low, and then you've got a bigger leg up. Then you've got a leg back down. So the leg going up next is where you take that trade. Cool. But you get exiting a percentage of the second leg uh yeah. that's correct yeah okay cool so it might be 70 percent of the second leg you, you exit um and i'm guessing your stop is below the the swing low below of the, the second okay hopefully and you guys can work that out you can, you can experiment with ways to to reduce that risk uh such as you could move the stop up under the low of each daily bar 
Um, you could have a point where you move it to break even so you can't lose money on the trade. There are all sorts of different ways, but you really need to test those in depth on the market for trading because every market has its own ways of moving and uh, and you need to get one that's, that's market-specific. But the simplest way is just to leave the stop under the swing. But if you can reduce the risk like that, then even though you might have, say, one in five or one in four trades that loses money, it might not lose the amount that you're risking on. It might lose half that or a quarter of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Hopefully you guys have worked that out. Um, now, before we wrap up, what's the best way for the traders to get hold of you? Well, my uh, my website is www.timwalker.net.au. Um, you can contact me through that. Uh, there's a contact link there uh, if someone wants to send me an email. Um, and uh, I, I do write a market newsletter each week, which you know people are welcome to try out if they're interested. Um, but that's that's the easiest way. Go to the go to the website and have a look, and uh, send me an email through that. Brilliant. Well, look, a big thank you to Tim for sharing with us today. Everything we've discussed here, along with all the links, are in the show notes. To find them, simply search for Tim, maybe search for Tim Walker in the search box on tradingnut.com. Until next time, I wish all my listeners trading happiness and success. Righty-ho, folks. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Tim Walker. Now, do remember that we did a video after that. Immediately after it, we shot a video, and that video, you're going to see the funny indicator that he's got on his chart, which he's uh, he talks us through. He shows us how he does an entry and exit. It's fantastic stuff. Head over there. There should be a link in the show notes here, so go and check that out. Now, whilst you're there, check out the Robot Traders Club. As I said, three new robots in the club. Uh, so you sign up now. You actually... You get 13 robots straight out, no, 14, I think, straight out of the gates. Um, really getting some momentum there, guys, so go and check that out. And if you want to build the robots as well, then you can check out the Robot Builders Club as well. So if you want to do your own building, you don't want to work with the community, do it yourself, then you get way much, so much more flexibility doing it that way. Um, go and check that out, the Robot Builders Club. Uh, what else? Oh yeah, and there's a link to that extra video that I mentioned at the start of the show, which will hopefully help improve your life. All right, guys, I'll see you on the next episode of the Trading Up Podcast.